Welcome to a special Midwestern episode of PFL. I'm your host, David Ubbin, here with my co-host, Joe Rexrode. Joe, uh, we're both here at the uh, NFL Combine. You are actually at the Combine. I'm just in Indianapolis. Uh, a lot to get to, but what's, uh, for those who have not been, uh, you're doing a, a handful of things, but what, uh, what, is the week at the, what is a week at the Combine like? Well, it's a lot. I, I tweeted this the first night. You will not see more packs of sports writing dorks rocking around one town than Combine Week at Indy. Also, you probably won't see more drunken coaches in any place more than Combine Week. That sounds uh, you about can, right. There are some, a couple places. I won't reveal them on the <laughs> podcast. You can go and see some really interesting things with people in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of boredom also. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's... You know, I mean, my main interest was the Titans, obviously, talking Titans sure. grass. So then, then you're trying to analyze every word. And, you know, they, were, they, said, they said they really loved Derrick Henry, but they didn't say it about Ryan Tannehill, all that stuff. Yeah. You got the testing, which went primetime this year. And frankly, to restore my faith in humanity, I need those ratings to be low. But we'll <laughs> see how that goes. And, of course, we had company meetings. Yes. Which were great. And it's great to do a podcast and be able to look you in the eye and sit here there you go. and say, why do you watch the show Love is Blind? <laughs> it's elite reality television. I have Elite I reality have, television. I have poorly sold it, but listen, guys, you got to watch it. <laughs> I am going to watch it now. There you go. On the Tennessee front, uh, a lot of change uh, afoot for Tennessee. Uh, I believe it was six changes from year one to year two on Tennessee staff and five this year. We'll talk a little bit more about sort of uh, the column that I wrote a little bit later. What is your first takeaway from, you know, small picture, the moves that we saw this year, uh, shifting some guys, replacing some guys, and then big picture, kind of where Tennessee is at in, in having what is uh, a lot of change in a short amount of time? Yeah, look, I mean, I think when you look at the whole thing, you have to raise an eyebrow a little bit. Like, man, that's a lot of change. Now, it also makes me think of Nick Saban. We know that Jeremy Pruitt is a protege of Nick Saban. And if there's one thing that has been very clear about Nick Saban for a long time, is that he changes staff a lot, and in a lot of cases, it's because it's not easy to work for Nick Saban. I don't know if that's what, the, if that's what this is with Jeremy Pruitt at all, but it seems as though... You know, you hear the comment from uh, someone David here. David Johnson, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like that's so like, huh, what is that about? Yeah. I would, I would not imagine. I mean, to me, Jeremy Pruitt seems like a guy who is so hard driving, who is so 24-7, pedal to the floor on winning and on recruiting. That's not well, going to suit everybody. recruiting first, then winning, yeah. Well, sure. You're well right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's not going to suit everybody. This business is already like that. You have to be like that. But I think that there's another level. And to me, Jeremy Pruitt seems like a next-level guy on that. Yeah. Every, it's not like any college coach can reasonably expect life balance. But there are degrees of that, and there are different philosophies and, and work environments. I would say this one is full tilt. So... Look, I can't point to anyone here and say that's what this is. But when you look at a, a, a uh, you know, the, the number overall, that comes to mind for me as a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wrote about this, and, and there's so much uh, 
you know, innuendo, and it's hard to really get your finger on, here's why this guy left, or, you know, well, they kind of offered him a deal, but, like, not really, but kind of, and, like, it's almost like the recruiting, like, committable, non-committable offers. It's like, they offered you a deal, but they did it so that you would be, like, maybe not, maybe insulted is too strong a word, but, like, that you would get the hint, like, if you want to leave, it's it's fine. And so those lines get really blurry, and Jeremy Pruitt is really good at, at making staff changes without Jeremy Pruitt fires X. So, you know, props to him for, for figuring that out. But you look at my whole thing with, you know, I wrote a column on Thursday. Tennessee fans have not been a huge fan of it. But ultimately, what I wanted to say is I, I'm, I've been, you know, watching Jeremy Pruitt's program. There have been a lot of changes, and I thought – that feels like a lot of change. And I want to run the numbers and try to put it in context for just yeah. how much change. Like, am I crazy? Or, like, I've been around college football a lot. It feels like a lot. And it was. So Tennessee's had 11 staff coaching changes. I wanted to compare them to their peers. Alabama's a little bit different, like you said. And Alabama, you know, they had seven uh, coaching changes uh, a couple years ago, I believe it was. They, missed, they uh, missed the playoff this year for the first year. This year they've had one. It's a little bit of a different, different situation. But big picture, you want to kind of look at those things. But – I compared them to Georgia and Florida, obviously, the two programs that they are chasing. Georgia, another first-time head coach. Kirby Smart's been there a little longer than Jeremy Pruitt. But in that same span that Tennessee's had 11 coaching changes, they've had five. Dan Mullen, it's a little bit different situation. He had a staff. He was a head coach somewhere else. Comes yep. to Florida. They've had three coaching changes. I can't say I was surprised by either of those numbers. Um, Oregon and Nebraska. You have Scott Frost, same deal. He had a spot. Uh, and and uh, at UCF, he brought a lot of coaches over there. But Nebraska's had three changes. Oregon's had five. Tennessee has had 11. The thesis, kind of what I was saying. You and used the word alarming. I used the word alarming. We'll get to that in a second. I was alarmed by that word. Yeah, many people were. <laughs> the thesis was just like you're trying to rebuild. And I think when you don't have continuity, that makes it harder. That doesn't mean that Tennessee is going to be bad or whatever. And I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the other, uh, you know, reasons why some of these things can, can happen. I just feel like it's, it's going to get more difficult. And, of course, the word alarming. I, I think that's a good word because it may be nothing, but it perks people's ears up. It's like, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of change. Uh, what did you make of sort of that idea uh, and, and yeah, the word well, alarming? Yeah, I mean, that word stood out to me, and I was like, is it alarming? I mean, I guess it also depends on how you view the word alarming. Because the way you just said it, I think that's totally fair. Alarming, I think some people can take that as... It's as this is about to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. a little bit more of a... Not the intention. A little bit sure. stronger word. But, um, look, it is a big number. You, you did a great job putting it in context. And I think it is important to know, as you just did with some of these guys, if you have been a head coach and you have staffs and you basically bring them with you, that's a very different situation than being a first-time head coach and, and, and trying to trial and error and mix and match. I mean, so I, I, I think you'd expect more from a, from a first-time guy like this, and especially a first-time guy in this kind of a job, okay, which is, I mean, we know, uh, you know, it's high, high pressure, it's high everything. It's the mm -hmm. top level of everything. Um, and so I'm not surprised it's more, but that is, it, it's certainly, I'm trying to think of uh, another word. It's eye-opening. Yeah. Maybe that's too soft a word. Though. Yeah, maybe. the. Uh... It's also two words with a hyphen, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> You know, we were we were kind of crowdsourcing our staff. We have fifty some people that cover college football, and a lot of folks focus on one team. So this data is readily available. If I was trying to calculate it, it'd be very very difficult to do. 
But we kind of asked around, and, and there's the, the short end of Iowa has had one in that span, and that's the Kirk Ferentz operation. Yeah. Uh, some people might call that stagnant or blindly loyal. Fair enough. And then the only one that I heard of that had more, do you know what it was? It's a team that we cover, and they're not in great shape right now. I, I, I don't know. The men of Troy. 16. Oh, sure. 16 yeah. out in L.A. Well, that's just, yeah. 16. That's a lot. There, yeah. That's, that's the closest number to 11 that I saw. Now, it's Tennessee and USC spot. Go look at the recruiting rankings. No. They're in a much better spot. Their, their trajectory is much better. But that's not the company you necessarily want to keep. Like, so it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I kind of like I wrote the piece. Ultimately, it's, gonna, it's a results business. If it works, it works. And, man, I just think it's going to be more difficult when you have a lack of continuity. You know, I talk about the running backs. The running backs room, great group of guys, really talented players, guys that come to work, get the job done. Uh, Eric Gray, a future star in the making. They've had three position coaches in three years, and they've really had four coaches because when they announced this staff, Robert Gillespie was their coach, and then he was summar- summarily dismissed uh, you know, shortly after. I think, they, I think the, the official word was just they didn't mesh well or whatever. That doesn't really necessarily count as a full-on coaching change, but it's still change. Uh, it's a different guy that, that, that's in your room and, and that's, that's leading your guys. So, you know, again, ultimately, what does this come down to? What does it mean in the fall? Uh, you got Shelton Felton. You've got Jimmy Brumbaugh. You know, I wanted to get into the philosophical shift here because that's the one thing that fans were saying, well, this is, this is all on purpose. Okay, yes, I think that's probably true. But the idea is that, okay, Jeremy Pruitt sees Tennessee, and you talk to people around Tennessee, this roster was in much worse shape than a lot of people realize. And he says, okay, we can't get guys in here right away. We've got to get teachers. That's where you have Chris Rumpf, you have Tracy Rocker, two of the best position coaches. I mean, you know, Chris Rumpf coming from Florida and Texas. That's, that's rare air. Tracy Rocker has been everywhere. You know, well, widely regarded one of the best defensive line coaches in, in college football, not the SEC. You saw his work last year in improving that group. Then you have Shelton Felton, who has coached in Georgia high schools, and Akron, and he's your new outside linebackers coach. Young, hungry. He's a staffer in 2018. Obviously, Pruitt saw something in him because not a lot of people go from Akron to Tennessee off of one year, basically. Pruitt obviously likes this guy. They didn't have a spot for him. Now they do. Jimmy Brumbaugh, a little bit more, makes more sense, comes over from Colorado, gets out, I believe it was before the Mel Tucker situation. Yeah. Um, so, well-timed, my guy. Well-timed. <laughs> uh, but not as, just not as established as, as Tracy Rocker. And he's going to be hungry. And he, he, you know, I'm sure those guys, I don't know them, but I'm... If I know Jeremy Pruitt and I know these moves, these seem like guys that are going to be uh, a hungry recruiters. Right. How does this play out? We'll see. Do you see, you know, does the development keep going? Uh, do you kind of see those things? I mean, we'll see. Uh, time will tell. But I think in some, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt clearly knows what he wants, right? Sure. So, so you would expect some of that to trickle down. On the offensive side of the ball, it's – it's Cheney's baby. And so, you know, I mean, you can look at it that way and say they feel really good about who is at the top. And so they feel like you can, you can get people up to speed on some of the teaching stuff. If they're great recruiters, then you could, you could sell this as an overall upgrade. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, I think, like you said, it's results. But also, you don't want this to keep happening. That's you know, true. Like, you know, I, you know, like at some point, you'd like to see it settle into some continuity because people are working well together and... 
like each other and, and have, share the same philosophy. And that's, I think, an important part of a program taking more steps. And I think, too, you know, I think the reason where I may have shifted from eye-opening to alarming is I've always believed that, you know, well, more so with head coaches, but an assistant coaches, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll focus on them because that's what we're talking about. But you look at where they go. Tracy Rocker, I mean, that's a, that's a step down. South Carolina is a, is a worse program, uh, and those guys are going to be starting on, their, on the hot seat, obviously. Yes. Uh, and, and I believe he's one that, that, you know, his contract ran out, and then he's taking a job elsewhere. And a great player that he would have coached is going to be in the NFL next yeah. year. So. Yeah, exactly. He's got a so younger room. It's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, that's obviously not a – most of these guys have taken lateral moves. The only thing, you know, depending on how you want to sell it, if you're Kevin Scherer or if you're Chris Rump or whatever – Going to the NFL, you're still coaching the same position. These guys are not leaving for coordinator jobs. Uh, you know, Tyson Helton is a weird middle ground because it's like his job is certainly in jeopardy, and then he gets the Western Kentucky head coaching job. I mean, that's that's a Rorschach test of all Rorschach <laughs> tests of what was this coaching change really? Uh, so it's a it's an interesting spot. Uh, but I, I, you know, these guys, it's that's it, different when you're you're talking about Alabama, where you have all these guys getting head coaching jobs, and and that's why that's I don't true. think Alabama is. You know, necessarily a great comparison. Well, but if you look at the peers, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because you're right. Because now what Alabama is is okay. I just go there for a year. And I'm going to get yes. whatever damage. But the, but Saban, the, the the revolving door has been there going again. I'll go back to covering him at Michigan State. He couldn't keep a defensive coordinator because it was like, I can't, you know. Yeah. It's not easy to be Saban. I think even more so back then to be Saban's DC. So it was. It's been a pretty high level of, and I don't have the numbers, but. Changes under Saban very commonplace. Even yes. before it became like this, oh, I'm just going to go here, and all of a sudden my resume just doubled in value. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's just interesting. I, I think that's the thing. That's kind of what I want to write about. It's like, well, look, this is it. a weird number. It's a high number, a very high number. The impact. Anybody who tells you that they know is guessing or lying. Basically, it might work. It might not. We'll see. Uh, but it's a high number. It is a high, high number, and uh, that's worth writing about. Absolutely. I <laughs> no, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, you and I, you know, you gotta you gotta look at this down the middle, and I, I know how I think college football fans more than any other type of fan, but if if, if they sense positive momentum and they like their coach. A lot of them do not want to hear anything <laughs> that might be. Wait a minute, what is this, what does this mean? But I mean, that's that's reality. We don't know. And Joe, there's seven hundred thousand dollars that's staying in Tennessee's pocket with this coaching staff. Obviously, that you know, saving money has not been a a priority for Tennessee staff since Jeremy Pruitt came and, and since Phil Fulmer has, has been the AD. Uh, but it's interesting. That's all. I, I just think it's interesting. I, I don't know what to make of it. See, if I'm a Tennessee um, fan, I'm like, well, spend that money right yeah, now. Yeah. Can you hire another analyst? You keep hearing about, <laughs> you know, you keep hearing about the, you know, the, this chatter about a Pruitt extension or raise because you have, you know, Eli Drinkwitz now at Missouri making four million or whatever, and you know, we won't get into that today necessarily. But uh, I think I think what you said is true. This can't keep happening. You can't get to year four and it's. Oh, we've had 24 changes. Like, you can't have that. I, 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 yeah, because yeah. if you do it again in, in your, you know, 7-5 and five range, yeah. then it's... What are we doing here? Yeah. Spinning our wheels. Well, going on to, uh, to more, a little bit of combine chatter, um, 
you, know, you were kind of around. You spent more time in the actual combine. And what have you made of, of the Tennessee guys week before we get into to Nigel Warrior, who's not here, interestingly enough? Yeah, well, first of all, and you had a really interesting piece on Nigel, which I, I love the exit interviews. And I, I cannot believe he's not here. First team all in CC. I really can't believe it. Like, a guy as accomplished as him. There are a lot of guys here that, to me, I would have invited him before them. So I, it's a really weird to me that he wasn't invited. Yeah. I mean, you have those every year. There's a few oddities like, really? I didn't, I didn't know. The, somebody asked me, and I didn't, we were busy this week. I didn't have the time to, to, to add it up. I'd be curious to know in the last 10 years how many first-team All-SEC guys did not get combined. That's invites. a great it's question. pretty uh, rare. Very low. And uh, it's, it's interesting, though. I think, you know, the speed is probably one issue, the angles, tackling. He, he, had, some, he had some warts his first years, but he had a great senior year. Like, you know, he was good. The coaches loved him. You could see it on the field. And then the advanced stats really loved him. He looked at the, 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 the numbers and what he was giving up and getting his hands on, on passes. Fantastic point. I, I was surprised. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that I was super bullish on, oh, he's going to be a 10-year vet in the NFL. But, but that's the fact not what that he, this is. Exactly. The, the fact but, that you didn't even get an invite is, is crazy. This isn't a bunch I, of first-round picks. Yeah, there's, a bu- yeah. there's guys here, a bunch of guys here won't get drafted. So, yeah, it's – yeah. So I feel bad for him, but, I mean, I still think – I think he's a good football player. You're right. The speed, you know, it's, it's, it's what it is. It's going to limit him to some extent. But I think he's a good enough football player to be on an NFL team next year. As far as the Tennessee guys, you know, obviously Jawan Jennings did not run well. 4.72 is disappointing. I, like, I almost thought maybe he would just, like, run at pro day. But he ran here, and that's not going to help him. I, I have not heard yet. I am really eager to hear – and usually word leaks out on some of these things, how he did in the interviews with teams. Because uh-huh. I think, I mean, Jennings to me is a guy, I can totally see a team or more than one team being in love with him as a football player and as a, an emotional guy. Now, now, sometimes the emotion gets the better of him. And how did he do in those interviews? I, I, I'm really eager to find that out. Um, I think that could elevate his stock even with the 40-time. Callaway runs a 4 5, five um, you know, Tesla and Jenny's like a 29-inch vertical too, which is, I think, like bottom five. I'm a little surprised. So his athleticism yeah. stuff did not test well here. I think I think that I don't think Tennessee fans would be surprised that I think you know you talk to people around Tennessee, you hear a lot of the same things about Juwan when they got here and he was first working out. It's like they're in camp, you're not playing live a ton. And you're kind of, or, you know, uh, I, I don't think he was working out in spring. That's before I got here. I don't know that he was out there. I, I don't think he was officially on the team yet. But, you know, in, in preseason, he's kind of working. And, and then, you know, they're kind of like, well, you know, who, what's this guy's deal? Like, he's not jumping off the page and just work. And then they go live. Yeah. You see it. I mean, 30 broken tackles this year. I think that was more than any receiver. Like, it, there's – there's an element of gamerness to it, and there's an element of like being hell bent on being successful and like pushing guys, and I think that that will add value to someone. I, I will be fascinated. Nothing would surprise me with Jawan Jennings' career. I, I think the Heinz Ward comparisons are probably fair. I saw Heinz Ward actually uh, yesterday for a little really? bit. Really? Yes. Small. Every everyone's in, in yeah, Indianapolis, a lot but of the um, no, but like. If he was still in the league in 2030, I wouldn't be surprised. If he is in the XFL next year, I, I can't say I'd be surprised. Like, it, it, it'd be – because because the measurables just aren't there, and, and I think it'll be uh, interesting to see kind of what happens to him and, and, and where his career plays out. I, I'm, I'm really, really interested to, to, to look and, and see where he ends up. Jerry Rice ran a 4-6. Darn it. 
There I'm you not, go. I'm not saying he's Jerry Rice. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it, no, I, I think you're dead on. I, I could see just about anything. He runs routes, he catches the ball, and he trucks people. And then people don't want to tackle him yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a place for him in the league. But, yeah, it, it, it could be all over the place. Dominic Wood-Adderson tested pretty well, too. And that's a guy who I, I, mean, I do think that he has NFL ability. He wasn't utilized a, a ton. Yeah, it was. he's got to get into a spot where – you know, his role can be clearly defined, and they can simplify things a little for him and let that athleticism show. Because we didn't see a ton of that at, at Tennessee. Um, but he's I think he's a better player than we saw at Tennessee. Um, but we'll, you know, those guys are fascinating. Daniel Batuli will, will run on, on, uh, on Saturday, I believe. So uh, we are taping this on Friday afternoon. Uh, moving on to some of Nigel's comments I thought were interesting when we talked. One, you know, he was talking about how it was a character-building exercise and, you know, his time at Tennessee, and, and he said, you know, as I asked him, what's the, the one thing that, that, that Nigel knows now that Nigel didn't know when he came to Tennessee? And he was talking about his, his face. I was like, that was a new one for me. Uh, that, you know, sometimes you got to, uh, you got to, uh, yeah, you know, my well, my appearance. His appearance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I, you know, it looked like I was mean mugging everybody, which <laughs> I can see that completely. That's kind of Nigel. Uh, he does kind of have that, and I think I'm sure he's his, intimidating. I'm sure his people, you know, as he sort of prepared for the draft, were like, "You're like a nicer kid than I think I saw." Smile, yeah, think. exactly. It's one of those things. Uh, and then we kind of talked a little bit about the, the Butch era because I want to talk to those guys. I wasn't here, and I think you hear interesting stories, and you hear, you know, uh, as, you know, ask him. Kind of when did you feel like this was not going to work? And he kept saying, well, it's when the off-field stuff started becoming a distraction. He used the term uh, a little off or things were wobbly. and There'd be all these things off the field that started to affect things on the field. Well, what did you make of his assessment? I mean, you were around when Butch was here when, when I was not. You did a good job of trying to get him to rip Butch. But, uh, I wasn't <laughs> trying to get him to no, rip I'm messing Butch. With no, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was careful. And I mean that's good, yeah. you know. But yeah, I, I mean it, it's a it's a another version of what you've heard from a lot of mm-hmm. right about that time. I mean, and and I took the off field stuff as even just like just the the conversation around Butch. It got overwhelming. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, I can't remember. I mean, of course there was stuff that, that had gone on, but like just the constant ridicule of Butch. Some of it's self-inflicted, to be fair. Oh, no question. And then him making it worse a lot during that last year. People falling on It became its own thing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like lying about dumb stuff and just like, and then getting getting mad at the media. Like, be positive. Like, no, I mean, come on, look what's going on. I mean, but the, the, the conversation about him, it's amazing how quickly it changed. And I still say it was that Vanderbilt lost, you know, at the end of 16, that all of a sudden it was like, the entire family was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know? I think it's, it's interesting because obviously I wasn't there for that shift. You know, I was, I was doing a little bit of national stuff at the time. So I kind of – you were kind of paying attention, but not really. And we saw a little bit of that this year where people I – would, I would say a, a step beyond cautious optimism coming off of 2018 for Pruitt. People were kind of frustrated with the 5-5 five and five to 5-7. Five and seven. They felt like they had the bowl and then they didn't. But – you know, you could kind of see the foundation being laid and guys were competitive and, and uh, the things they were doing were, like, coherent. I mean, I remember when I took this job and I was watching the 2017 games and I'm looking at this offense <laughs> and I'm like, like, what are they doing? Like, what is happening? How many times can you run Quentin Dormady off of a zone read before you're just like, hey, 
Maybe don't do that, man. Maybe like, not his cup of tea. Yeah. And so, like, you, you kind of you, you see those kind of things or, or whatever. Uh, but it flipped on Pruitt a little bit when he's sitting there at 0-2 after the BYU game, and it's like people want to trust their eyes and be like, this team is competing and they look better. But they've lost four games in a row now, and people, you know it well, wasn't and a week before was so bad. Of course, and it wasn't as sharp. But I had not seen I have not seen it go from a real strong optimism to we're gonna have to get this guy out of here in like two weeks. That was crazy. And then of course Pruitt stayed the course, and now they're back to I mean even more optimistic than ever now when you're riding a six game win streak into and you get to stare at that for what nine months now. It changes fast. It does. And uh, but what 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 do you kind of remember about when it did shift on Butch? On Butch, um, yeah. Well, so actually, I guess really in sixteen, I mean that team, you know, really he did a really poor job at the end of the Georgia game. But Jawan Jennings makes this incredible play. Josh Dobbs, Hail Mary. Was it Vandy more than South Carolina? In 16? I was gonna say, I, yeah, I was just gonna say South Carolina was a big one because you know I mean you still. Are right there to win the East if you just go beat a four foot pretty, putt. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that was very alarming. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a different grade of alarming. You look um, at you look at the talent that that team had and the things that those guys. I mean, you have the the best offensive weapon in the NFL, some would say, and then you have Derek Barnett. Yes, and then you have you know a lot of NFL and guys. Dobbs did, and Dobbs really was a guy who you know great leader and player, and I think. I think, frankly, you do look back and you wonder, like, how much did Dobbs save Butch overall mm-hmm. in some of those situations? But, yeah, then, I mean, Vanderbilt. So, South Carolina was like, ugh. Vanderbilt looked at me and was like, whoa, uh, this is a problem. And then, you know, even the opener against Georgia Tech, they miraculously survived that I game. That gave game. up a million rushing yards. That was the trash can game. That uh, was Garantano, not Tano at the time. The pouting, upset on the sideline, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, but even that was like, but I think really he was done when they lost the game at Florida. Like they had the you know first and goal at the one, and didn't really, you know that that game I think it was kind of that, it, and it was sort of just a building conversation around him. But it was so different when I think back to going into sixteen when they were the East favorite and all that stuff, and then going into seventeen. That one year, look back. Totally different conversation around him. Now there were some people going to sixteen saying, "Man, but what about the end of the Oklahoma game? And what about the end of the Florida game?" You know, there was some there was some concerns about his in-game coaching, but the recruiting had gone so well, yeah. and you were seeing this very talented team. And it's like win the East, and you're signing yourself up for a, a haul. And then boom, a, a year later, going to seventeen, it was like, okay. It's interesting that and quickly. We're at the point now where it's worth talking about the difference in the East because, you know, I look at this Tennessee team and I'm like, this is a good roster. I think I've said this multiple times, but you give them you give this twenty twenty Tennessee team Clemson's schedule, I think they go ten and two. You look at the schedule, you have four games. Don't tell Dabo you said that. Yeah. You look at this Tennessee team and you look at that, they have four games. You're going to do something special to win those games. you got to beat Florida, who has obviously been an issue. That's probably your most likely. You get them at home. Florida, they keep winning games, and then I watch them and I'm like, I don't love this team, but they won, like, what, 21 games last two years? So it's like the proof's in the pudding, but also I watch them and I'm like, ah, is that a top 15 team? I guess I'm just wrong about Florida. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. But you have you go to Oklahoma, 
catching them at a good time. You're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, if you're going to play them, that's probably the time to play them. Uh, but still going to be a huge task. Yeah. You're probably a two-and-a-half touchdown or underdog. And then, of course, Georgia and Alabama. But you tell me this Tennessee team, and you put them in the East in 2014 to 2016. I like their chances to make it interesting, and, yeah. and you, you catch some breaks. You're going to, but now you have the Georgia behemoth. Yeah, because Georgia was so different. It's though, just yeah, place. it's just you have Bama Light that you're yeah. sharing, and you got to obviously play real Bama, and then Florida, who keeps winning games and keeps putting their thumb on you, even when it doesn't really, you know, Tennessee. Their two most disappointing games the last two years. You could probably debate Georgia State or Florida, but Florida was certainly rock bottom for Tennessee this year, um, in part because they seem to go straight up from that game, but. Am I crazy for thinking that this roster, you know, this is where Jeremy Pruitt has to look at the reality of the division that he has taken his job in and that he came at a pretty bad time because Tennessee had their window and they couldn't get it done, even though I think those 2016 teams were better than – or 2016 Tennessee is a better team talent-wise than what Tennessee has right now. Yeah, because more mature talent. Yes, but you put this team in there, I like their chances to to, to win a weakened East. Tennessee does not – live in a weakened East right now. Yeah. They live in a strong East. No, I, no I, I agree. Absolutely. And look, tradition is tradition, but who else has to play in Alabama every year? You know? I mean, it, it's, just, it's just a terrible draw for yeah. you. Alabama you know? and Georgia just, and Florida, it's, it's not right. great. And then but, bad timing for the Oklahoma game, I think. Yeah, but that's why, I mean, to me, success in 2020 is, is going 8-4. And winning all the games, well, okay, first of all, you, you've got to win all the games you're supposed to win, mm-hmm. okay? And that won't be easy either, by the way. Those will not all, it's not like you can just... Yeah, Tennessee's you know, not good enough to coast no, in no. South Carolina or Missouri or, Missouri or no. any of those games. Even Kentucky, maybe. If they play poorly, but, they can lose those yeah, games. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's, I think, you know, has a chance to be pretty good. So, so, you know, but win those games and kind of you know, establish yourself as, okay, now we're back here. And then get one of those other ones. Yeah, they did if it one year. If you do that, yeah. then to me that's a heck of a 2020 of 9-3, and three, and then you'd be in a uh, very good bowl game too. That's the difficulty of coaching at Tennessee because they did that one year last year. Well, we got to do that every year. It's like that's, that's, that's where you're at. It's like, well, of course Tennessee could never lose to South Carolina or Missouri. It's like, well, easier said than done. We'll, we'll see. But that's if you want to say you're making progress as a program, that is, that's, that's a reasonable step you can take and – they did it last year. Yeah, now it's got to be. It's got to be the consistent reality. Yeah. I still think they can. They can steal one of those games. Maybe they shock Georgia. Maybe they uh, uh, steal one from an Oklahoma or an Alabama or a uh, Florida. Florida is like you Florida said. Florida at home. I, I think that's the most likely. I I do think honestly, if I had to bet on it, I think they win one of those games, and I think they lose, lose a stupid another one, one. Yeah. Uh, that they just shouldn't because they don't play well. I mean, it's tough for this team, and then injuries is a factor as well. You might get banged up a little bit, or you're missing a key guy and, and it costs you uh, you know this team running the table against teams that they should beat two years in a row well the back half of the season anyway for last year but doing that is is uh, you know they're not at the roster standpoint where they can do that easily you can't so, count on it. Right. yeah exactly so you know we'll see Joe we we're in Indianapolis I was able to have the uh, the St. Elmo's cocktail shrimp for the first time last night oh really your first time what'd you think uh, so I'm not a spicy guy and I wouldn't even describe, I mean it's horseradish so it's not really it's a sinus clearer yeah it's not even really spicy as much as just a uh, flashbang in your <laughs> mouth basically and yeah. then it sort of coasts uh, I enjoyed it I'm not like a huge cocktail shrimp guy but I was not going to come all the way to Indianapolis and not have it where do you stand on it 
You know, I, I've done it many times because I, you know, especially past stops, I, I've been in India a ton, yeah. you know, for different things, Big Ten the tournament, Big Ten, all that Indianapolis stuff. is their Atlanta for basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've kind of, I'm now like every third time I do it. Mm-hmm. So like this trip, I did not do it. I actually went wedge salad instead. Look at this guy. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> I like the wedge salad. Yeah, they have a really good one at St. Elmo, by the way. And, of course, Izzy and Harry's, for people who don't know, and it's basically the same food. Yeah. So it's like they're next door to each other. Uh, but I, I like it. Um, I would say I tried a new place here called Livery, which is really good Latin food, uh, kind of like shared plates stuff, very good. But also I always, I've already been there once and might on the way out of town, Shapiro's Deli. Is a great My Uber driver Indiana. actually said that's the best Reuben. It is an amazing Reuben. He's like, it stacks up to anything I've had in New York. I was like, well, I'm not like a Reuben guy, but I'm intrigued. Yeah. Yeah, I would. The, the Reuben, also the meatloaf, the baked chicken, and they have great pies. They've got, yeah, so, yes, if you're, you know, good soups too. So if you're in Indy, I, I mean, I'm hoping I can convince <laughs> John Glennon to stop there on the way out of town. <laughs> Well, Joe, I'll let you guys get out of town. My flight leaves a little bit later today. Uh, Another episode of PFL. Uh, Intriguing times in Tennessee football. Uh, For those of you who are subscribers or not subscribers, we've got a pretty fun story coming next week, I think, next week. Uh, We've been working on it a little while, and uh, it's – it's something I don't know that Tennessee fans have read before, and that's what we try to do. It's called a tease, Joe. I like it. Very well done. <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm in. That will do it for this week's episode of PFL. Uh, like, rate, review, subscribe, all those things that help the show. Do them if you like it. Joe, that will do it for this week's episode. We will talk again very, very soon.